Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. We started a new series after Easter, People of God. And last week Owen preached on being people of power. And my topic this week is being people of presence. People of the presence. And I'm going to start from reading from Exodus chapter 33, starting at verse 12. I'll just wait while everyone opens their Bibles. Exodus 33, verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, lead these people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation the Jewish nation, is your people. The Lord replied to Moses, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Do you know Arcadia make a greeting card? And it's a little verse on the front of it. It's American, you'll find out why in a minute. It says, Weeks of extensive research have confirmed what I suspected all along. That I cannot live without you. You're the peanut butter to my jelly, the prize to my cereal box. I think about you in the morning. I think about you at night. I think about you when the therapist says, okay, right now don't think about anything. And I will never, ever, ever take you off my friends and family plan. Is there a special someone that you can't live without that you buy that card for? What about God? Can you live without him? One of the greatest promises that's recorded in the Bible is God's continued presence. Jehovah Shammah. God is there. And what about the prophecy from Isaiah that's quoted when Jesus is born? The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel. God with us. God with us. God's ever present with us. It doesn't matter what the situation you're in, God is there. There are enemies rising up against us. Troubles come in. God is there. Someone hates us. We're not getting on with someone. God is there in every situation. And Moses knew that. Moses and the Jewish people knew about the presence of God. Moses had spoken to God from the burning bush. He'd heard God's voice, experienced his glory on the mountaintop. If you look at verse 11 of chapter 33, it actually says, The Lord would speak to Moses 
face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Moses knew God. Israel was blessed with the presence of God. They'd got that cloudy pillar by day. They'd got the pillar of fire by night. They knew God. They knew his presence with them. And actually we read a few pages back in Exodus 25 how God actually told Moses to build the tabernacle, which means a dwelling place. The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering from me from each man whose heart prompts him to give. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. God's presence in the midst of Israel. God didn't live in the Garden of Eden. He walked there. But now God's going to live with Israel. Fast forward to Exodus 33 in the passage I've just read. And actually, Moses and Israel are going to lose God's presence. Why? Sin. Sin had come in and disrupted things. The people had sinned against God, and God actually suggests that Moses and Israel go on into Canaan without his presence. One translation actually renders God's words as, I will not be with you because you are impossible to deal with. What happened was that Moses had been up the mountain a long time. It was actually 40 days after the Israelites had been given the law. And they'd broken it. They urged Aaron to make that golden calf and then they worshipped the calf. And God was so angered by their celebrations and the immorality that he actually threatened to wipe the entire Jewish nation out. He was going to replace it with a new line descended from Moses. Just like he'd done with Noah. Moses appeals to God on behalf of the nation because of the promises that God has made to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. But God warns that there will come a future day of judgment for that nation. That he'd still give Israel the land and that he'd send an angel to lead the people into the promised land. But actually in chapter 33, God explains he's going to remain at a distance. He's not going to dwell in the midst of the people anymore. And verses 7 to 11 describe a tent of meeting set up outside the camp. Not in the midst of his people, but outside the camp. The Israelites can go there to seek God and Moses goes there to commune with them. But it's not dwelling in the center of the camp with his people. So far, Moses has persuaded God to relent from exterminating the Israelites. He's agreed to take them into the land of Canaan. And actually, even the remoteness of God is minimized in a way, even though he's outside the camp. But Moses isn't content with that situation. He wants God intimately present in his life. He wants him present in the lives of the people that he's been called to lead. And that's why Moses says, if your presence does not go with us, don't send us up from here. How will anyone know if you're pleased with us and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Basically, God, if you're not going to Canaan with us, we're not going either. 
God's presence distinguished them as his people. They got the cloudy pillar by day, pillar of fire by night. It was a test in me to test them. Can't say it. Testing them. Oh, you know what I mean. <laughs> Testing me that they were his own people. His own possession, a visible sign that they were God's people. No other nation had a cloud travelling in their midst. No other nation had a night like, like God was giving them. He was right there, leading, guiding, providing. A covenant relationship with God. Based on God's grace, with his presence, they were somebody. Minus his presence, they were nobody. With his presence, they could do anything. Minus his presence, they could do nothing. And God's presence actually distinguished them from the other people. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the earth? God's presence made them a peculiar people, separated out from others. Where they were going, they worshipped many gods, made of wood, stone, metal, inanimate gods. Israel worshipped one God, the one true God, a living God. And in 1 Peter, Peter reminds us that you, that's us, the church, you are a holy, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful life. Once you were not a people. Now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy. But now you have received mercy. We are a chosen people. We're saved by the grace of God. We're nothing without him. And we can do nothing without him. We desperately need his presence in our lives to distinguish us. Let's look forward now to the New Testament church. You can read about it in Acts. It's a fabulous book. It reads like an adventure story. It starts off after the resurrection. The disciples were grieving because Jesus said he was leaving to go to heaven. But he also said it was for their good that he went away because he was going to send them the Holy Spirit. And that baptism in the Holy Spirit actually had three ultimate effects on the disciples. You can see it in Acts 1 and 2. They would have power. They would be courageous witnesses to bring others to Christ. And by living in the continual stream of God's presence, they'd hear God speak to them through dreams and visions. So the disciples waited and prayed constantly with this promise. And on Pentecost the Spirit came. came in power. The gift of Pentecost was and is today the reality of God living in his people. It's available to all of us. As the church explodes with new growth... Disciples and the newly appointed leaders are all filled with the Spirit and they live in the continual flow of the presence of God. Peter and John, in Acts 3 and 4, get hauled in front of the Sanhedrin for healing a lame man. 
And as the Sanhedrin confer amongst themselves, they say, everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle. Everybody in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle. Everybody in Armthorpe, everybody in Doncaster, outstanding miracles. We want that. You know, this river of living water that the first disciples moved in is available to us today because actually God invited us last week through Morwenna to get into that stream. It's the key to the success of the early church and it's what church needs most desperately today. But the question I want to ask today, are we living in his presence? Or are we just acknowledging his existence? We either base our lives on God's presence in them or the fact that he exists. Do we acknowledge his existence in our daily walk but we ignore his presence? I don't know about you but I know I do things that I wouldn't do if I was continually conscious of his presence with me. How can we benefit from his relationship with us if we ignore the fact that he is with us? I want to give you an idea, a way to illustrate what I'm trying to say here. You're driving down the road, quite happily in your car. You look in the rearview mirror, police car behind you. So, what speed am I doing? All right, I better turn properly, use the right lane markings. Oh, lights are on to amber, I'll stop. Oh, better not answer that mobile, I haven't put the Bluetooth on, I forgot to do it. Yeah? You're only doing that because you're aware of the presence of the police car behind you. And this may seem a bit of a funny story, but actually that's how we can live our lives without being aware of God's presence. We know the traffic police are out there, and we know that they've got a job to do. But how often do we keep the law when we're not aware of their presence? Would you travel down the motorway at 80 miles an hour? with a police car in the rearview mirror? Some of us perhaps would by the sound of it. <laughs> but, if you wouldn't do it with a police car behind you, why do we do it with God in the passenger seat? And I want you to understand here, God isn't a traffic cop sat up there waiting to give you a ticket because you've infringed the law. We actually live under grace, not law. But actually, that word grace has the same basis as the word grateful. We should be grateful to God for his grace, and we should want to please him. And if we're aware of his presence, then that should be uppermost in our minds. But you see, acknowledging his presence threatens our sovereignty, our freedom. If we're truly living in his presence, won't we do the things that please him and not ourselves? Or are we just acknowledging that he exists and keeping him outside the camp in the same way that the Israelites did? The only way to be a part of God's people is to live in his presence. And the only way we're going to have his presence is to walk in his presence 
at every moment and involve him in every decision that we make. That's the only way that the world is going to acknowledge that we're God's children. For in him we live and move and have our being. These signs will accompany those that believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. And then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with him, with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. And the book of Acts is filled with the power and presence of God. Without God's presence, we have no power. Jesus says, I will send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And again in Acts, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. We are the light of the world. We are a city on a hill. Are we burning brightly or barely glowing? What do we have in our life that would shine brightly enough to attract people to the God we serve and convince them of his love and his power? Listen to Paul throughout the New Testament as he preaches the gospel. My message and preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on on men's wisdom, but on God's power. God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love and self-discipline. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What do we want? Theology, sophisticated arguments, wise words, or a sense of God's power that's with us, his presence with us everywhere we go. There's a book called The God Chasers, and in it, the author tells a story of the day his wife went to a store in Houston, in Texas. She was standing in a supermarket queue and experienced a divine appointment. A stranger standing behind her, with tears streaming down her face, tapped her on the shoulder and said, I don't know where you've been, and I don't know what you've got, but I'm in the middle of divorce. What I'm really saying is, I need God. At that moment, this woman was so desperate and hunger for God that she didn't care about the other people standing behind her or around her. She knew the author's wife, Tommy Tenney's wife, had a presence of God about her. They took time to ask the lady behind that lady if it was okay to pray with her right there in the supermarket queue. And actually the lady behind was crying by this time and she said, yes, and pray with me too. It wasn't the author's wife's outward appearance. It wasn't her actions. It was the presence of God that had accompanied her into that shop that touched these women. 
We go treasure hunting. What happens then? We trust and rely on God to lead us to people that we, he wants us to take his presence to. He gives us words for them. He brings healing. And God's power is that evidence of his presence and how he's establishing his kingdom. However, Satan is very good at making us draw from our natural ability and not from that spiritual ability that comes from God. And the way he does it is to make us count the cost. Personal cost, personal inconvenience. What were the disciples doing while they waited for Holy Spirit? They were praying and praising God. I want to take you back to New Year's Day, 1739. That New Year was ushered in by a service in the evening. It was attended by the Wesley brothers and George Whitfield. And here's John Wesley's take on it, this evening service. About three o'clock in the morning, as we were continuing in prayer, the power of God came mightily upon us, insomuch that many cried out for exceeding joy and many fell to the ground. As soon as we were recovered a little from the awe and amazement at the presence of his majesty, we broke out with one voice, we praise thee, O God, and acknowledge thee to be the Lord. And that empowering and anointing and infilling took the Wesleys and Whitfield through this land in a blaze of revival and salvation and across the American colonies. Who wants to pray all night? Three o'clock in the morning. Who wants to spend time waiting on God into the small hours? And we sing that song, don't we? This is the air I breathe. Your holy presence living in me. It goes on. I'm desperate for you. I'm lost without you. But I want to challenge you today. How desperate are you for God? How hungry? Do you prefer your time, your money, your possessions, rather than that sacrifice to enter into the presence of God? Where's that living sacrifice that Owen spoke about last week? Being a living sacrifice means we need to sacrifice the substance of our lives, our busyness, our time, our efforts, our resources. If we love someone, we put ourselves out for them. We make sacrifices. There's an ultimate sacrifice. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life sacrificing an extra 15 minutes of your time is nothing compared to what God's given for us our priorities will determine God's presence in our life at home I have next to my armchair a laptop TV remote and a Bible and God's and an iPad, thank you Jonathan (laughs) 
And this week, while, or the last couple of weeks while I've been preparing this preach, God's challenged me that one of those items is actually used a lot less than the others. Jesus' call to commitment is clear. He wants all or nothing. God wants our best. He deserves our best. He demands our best. I've been reading a book called Crazy Love by Francis Chan, and a lot of it is based on the church in Laodicea in Revelations, the one that Jesus called lukewarm. And this is an excerpt from the book. God is holy. In heaven exists a being who decides whether or not I take another breath. This holy God deserves excellence, the very best I have. But something is better than nothing, some may protest. Really? Is it? Does anyone enjoy just token praise? I sure don't. I'd rather you not say anything than compliment me out of obligation or guilt. And why should we think God is any different? What scares me most is the people who are lukewarm and just don't care. I think that if I did a poll with the readers of this book, many of you would say, yeah, I am definitely lukewarm at times, but I'm not really at a place to give more to God. Many of us believe that we have as much as God of God as we want right now. A reasonable portion of God amongst all the other things in our lives. But the fact is that nothing should concern us more than our relationship with God. It's about eternity and nothing compares with that. God is not someone who can be tacked on to the rest of our lives. Do we say to the creator of the world and the galaxies, well, I'm not sure you're worth it. You see, I really like my car, my sin habits, or my money, and I'm not really sure I want to give them all up, even if it means I get you. When we put it plainly like this, a direct choice between God and our stuff, most of us hope we would choose God. But we need to realize that how we spend our time, what our money goes toward, what we invest our energy in, is equivalent to choosing God or rejecting him. Do we want to be men and women who are led by God? Men and women filled with life and his authority? Men and women with a prophetic word, a power and a presence that's going to make the world stand up and take notice. Men and women with a power and a presence that will draw the hungry, the lost, the sick and the unsaved. Moses understood that there was only one way Israel could be recognized as God's people, his presence. What the world saw in the early church was God's presence. It was the presence of God that caused them to be called Christians. What does the world say of us today? There's an old maxim that says, people are known by the company they keep. 
Are we keeping company with God? Are we carrying his presence to our jobs, to our families, to our world, to our brothers and sisters? Worship song that we sing often is, there must be more than this. Oh, breath of God, come breathe within. There must be more than this. Fill us anew, we pray. Consuming fire, fan into flame, a passion for your name. Lord, have your way with us. I'm just going to finish now, just with a final excerpt, some questions from that book, Crazy Love. Are you willing to say to God that he can have whatever he wants? Do you believe that wholehearted commitment to him is more important than any other thing or person in your life? Do you know that nothing you do in this life will ever matter? Unless it's about loving God and loving the people he has made. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk 